Blog Talk Radio. welcome you to the Stop Child Abuse Now talk radio show sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Tonight is uh, Monday, November 13th, 2023, and my name is Penelope Bennett. I'm from Sarasota, Florida. On my host team is Kim Lakin from Colorado, and we are also adult survivors of child abuse. We welcome you to our show this evening. The type of show that we're having is a, a special topic show, and uh, what that means is we uh, welcome uh, your calls um, and questions and topic suggestions regarding um, child abuse trauma prevention intervention recovery. Um, so we encourage you to call in. The number to call in and to be involved in the show and a member of our panel tonight um, to join us in our discussion is area code 646-595-2118. Again, that number is area code 646-595-2118. And Kim will greet you on our back line and welcome you into the show. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about NASCA and NASCA's mission um, because, as I mentioned, NASCA is all about child abuse, trauma, prevention, intervention, recovery. We have a single purpose at NASCA, and it's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. The first goal, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, abbreviated CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. More about NASCA on our website, which is www.nasca, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot O-R-G. 
Um, we have a growing panel. I'd also like to welcome Philip to the panel. And because this is an open topic show, we would like, um, please call in to participate. Um, but in the interim, uh, Kim and I were discussing, Kim brought up a great suggestion. We've referenced this in some of our shows before, but we've never really had um, an in-depth discussion about it. And this is about the landmark ACES study that was um, done um, with Kaiser um, in uh, collaboration with the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, and it was to assess adverse childhood experiences, and that is why it's abbreviated ACE, A-C-E, for adverse childhood experiences. So I'm going to set up the study a little bit before we get started, tell you a little bit more about the ACEs study. It is one of the largest investigations of childhood abuse and neglect and household challenges and later life, health, and well-being. So it really measures um, depending on how many adverse events, and I'll get into the description of what a childhood adverse event is but based upon a questionnaire about adverse childhood experiences given to the study subjects, um, dependent on how many answers were yes, uh, that those outcomes determined long-term health and wellness of these individuals in the study. So it was conducted initially um, at Kaiser Permanente from 1995 to 1997, there were 17,000 members that participated in the study. So that's considered a well-powered well study because the number of participants was so high. Um, and there, they were, the study was executed through uh, confidential surveys um, to these patients in their exams regarding their childhood experiences and current health status and behaviors. So resulting from the study is a pyramid, and the pyramid represented a conceptual framework for the study. There was a correlation between how many questions were answered yes, so how many adverse childhood experiences were uh, uh, occurring um, in the subject's life, and that related to the development of risk factors for disease and well-being throughout the life course of the subject study subjects. So um, I'm going to just stop right there and just see regarding the study setup, and I'm going to unmute Philip's line if there are any questions regarding what this study is about and why it was conducted. And Kim or Philip, is, is is that pretty clear so far? Kim, Ms. Kim. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I've I've always been really fascinated with it, so I'm excited to talk about it. Okay, bit. great. So I'm gonna. There was a male um version and a female version, and I'm just it's um. Uh, there was a family health a history questionnaire and a health appraisal questionnaire. So I'm going to go into um, the questionnaire 
um, so basically, this is this is these are the end point. The end point was um, really assess um, how many questions to really answer the series of questions, and then to to note how many questions, and there were yes or no an- questions with a yes or no answer, and the higher the number um, of yeses correlated to um, uh, uh, more an impact, a, a more substantial impact on the long-term physical and mental well-being of the study subjects. So um, let's see here. Um, okay, I'm basically the first. The you're going into the questionnaire. Um, they want to just assess. How old you were when you were born? Um, if you're employed, if you're married. Um, but then it gets a little bit more specific. Um, how many days of work have you missed in the last 30 days to distress or feeling depressed? Um, how many days of work have you missed due to poor physical health? Um, for most of your childhood, did your family own their home? During your childhood, how many times did you move uh, residences, even in the same town? Um, how old was your mother when they were born? Um, these are just more qualifying questions um, to really assess um, basically their their patient type. Um, so this is I'm going to go now, Kim, into the more of the health appraisal questionnaire. So you're on the MINS, is that what you're? Yeah, I'm, I'm not finding. Okay, this is showing. I'm not finding the actual questions on the survey. These are more qualifying questions. So, um, let's see here. So, did you see the verbatim? <clears throat> I'm sorry, the verbatim questions. Is that where you're looking at, or on the yeah, mail? The family the actual... health history. Actually, these are these are more qualifying questions. I want to I want to actually look at the actual questions on the ACE study about um, let's see here. I'm going to Google it right now. Um, see if. Um, while I'm Googling to get to the study questions, Philip, did you have any other questions um, or comments about the ACE? Have you heard of the ACEs study? I looked it up on YouTube before, and it said mm-hmm. that it causes some kids to go to jail. That, that some kids with adverse childhood experiences go to jail. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so I found the basic questions now. Um, well, and I don't think, just to answer kind of what Philip, or, you know, have a respond to what Philip was just saying, um, I think that's probably could be what could happen because, you know, like I, I didn't go to jail. <laughs> so I was lucky enough not to do that. So I think that that was probably how you read it uh, as maybe being, you know, that could happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't 
it said a certain percentage, but I forgot the percentage. Yeah. So we could probably dig into okay. this. And it sounds like you found something there. Actually, I found basically the the, the questions were, and here they are. Um, these are the ACE definitions. So here are the definitions of what an average childhood um, um, experience was. Um, the questions refer to the uh, the respondent's first 18 years of life. So the first questions, and this is again, I just should should preface this by saying this may be a trigger warning for some. So the first was abuse. Was there emotional abuse? A parent, a step parent, or adult living in your home? who swore at you, insulted you, put you down, or acted in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt. The next category was physical abuse. A parent, step-parent, or adult living in your home who pushed, grabbed, slapped, threw something at you, or hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured. The third question about abuse, sexual abuse. An adult, relative, family friend, or stranger who is at least five years older than you, ever touched or fondled your body in a sexual way, made you touch his or her body in a sexual way, attempted to have any type of sexual intercourse with you. The next category is household challenges. Mother treated violently. Your mother or stepmother was pushed, grabbed, slapped, had something thrown at her, kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, hit with something hard, repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes or ever threatened or hurt by a knife or gun by your father or stepfather or mother's boyfriend. The second subcategory under household challenges, substance abuse in the household. A household member was a problem drinker or alcoholic, or a household member used street drugs. The third subcategory under household challenges, mental illness in the household. A household member was depressed or mentally ill, or a household member attempted suicide. The next question under household challenges was parental separation or divorce. Your parents were ever separated or divorced. And the last uh, question um, under household challenges, incarcerated household member, a household member went to prison. The next category was neglect, emotional neglect. Someone in your family never or rarely helped you feel important or special. You never or rarely felt loved. People in your family never or rarely looked out for each other and felt close to each other, or your family was never or rarely a source of strength and support. The next the subcategory under neglect is physical neglect. There was never or rarely someone to take care of you, protect you, or take you to the doctor if you needed it. You didn't have enough to eat. Your parents were too drunk or too high to take care of you, or you had to wear dirty clothes. These were the questions that were asked. And the answer was yes or no. And based upon the number of yeses, and one yes is considered um, significant, um, the number of yeses did correlate to um, uh, and, re- and related to development of risk factors for disease and well-being throughout the life course. So some of those factors being disease, disability, and social problems, early death, adoption of a health risk factor, social, emotional, uh, and cognitive impairment, a disruption in in neurodevelopment. Um, So 
these are all uh, uh, outcomes related to um, uh, adverse childhood experiences. Now, looking at the demographics of the study, meaning who who was who participated, um, 54% were female and 46% were male. 74% were white, 4.5% were black, 7.2% Asian, 2.2% other, 11% Hispanic, and um, 1929 was 5.3%. This is age, 1929. 30 to 39 was 9.8%. 40 to 49 was 18.6%. 50 to 59 was 19.9%. And 60 and over was 46%. Um, there were so roughly. Is that? Can I ask you a question here? Sure. So that's um, percentage of who could have adverse These are the percentage of. Or the no, these are percentage of the of actually the participants in the study. Okay. Because there were seventeen thousand seventeen thousand people um, who were asked this questionnaire. Um, within the healthcare system at Kaiser. So this is just a breakdown of who was asked the question. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And okay. I know I do that. I have Kaiser too. I've had it for several years and I participate in some of these studies. So yeah. it's interesting. You know, I, I think that's why it's been so fascinating to me about the adverse childhood experiences is because right. you, I I get to look, you know, I can look at some of this stuff and say, that's me and that's kind of normal for what I'm going through. Not that it's normal in, um, you know, like a healthy family, but because I didn't have a healthy family, that is normal. And I think it just takes some of that stigmatism away from me. So that's what, what I've enjoyed about just reading about it. Well, it, interestingly, um, and, and so, so I would say roughly 53% of the, uh, the 17,000 subjects studied were under the age of 60, and 46% were over the age of 60. Um, there were actually about 25% in terms of education did not graduate high school, but 35% had, actually 36% had some college, and 40% had a college graduate or higher. And um, looking at the results, if you're okay if I go into the results. So this is really, you know, this is, this is, um, this is you know, a demographic. I mean, this is representing everyone. This is not just representing one demographic. Um, 10% um, of the study subjects had experienced emotional abuse. 28% had experienced physical abuse. 20% had experienced sexual abuse. 13% had seen the mother treated violently. 27% were in a home with substance abuse. 
20% in a home with mental illness, almost 25% in a home with separation or divorce, almost 5% with an incarcerated household member. In terms of neglect, 15% in a household with emotional neglect, 10% with physical neglect. So when you look at the number of experiences of a child of ACEs, 36% said zero, 26% said one, 15% said two, no, 16% said two. Ten percent said three, and thirteen percent roughly said four or more. So if you look at overall of these individuals that experienced any adverse child events, so I'm not there were thirty six percent were zero, but any you're looking at of the population had experienced at least one adverse child event or more, which I think is very significant. Anyway, I'll stop now. I just wanted to talk about the study and the results. So, Yeah, I mean, when you think about one in three girls and one in six boys, Mm -hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot of people in the world that, you know, and, and we we know from studies that we've read and about and everything that not everybody even says that there's been abuse. You know, people don't come out. And then if they do, a lot of times it's when they're older. So we know that that, that study could be off right. a little bit. But, I mean, it's, yeah, that, that 67% sounds like a lot. I mean, that is. I mean, you're right. You're right, Kim, because. What we like and fill what we say we define as normal. I mean, if you were to ask me this, you know, if I were to fill out this survey 15 years ago, I would have said no to a lot of those questions because I thought the treatment that I had received in the home was just normal. I wouldn't even know how to define it. It was just what it, it was normal. But now that I understand what what it is and that it wasn't normal, I can take it, you know, in a different context. I can go through and ask, you know, answer that questionnaire very, very differently. Um, so, um, Philip, I want to know what your thoughts are on the study and the and the results. Um, well, I don't know. I don't really have any thoughts about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm... I I do think that our um, primary care doctors and providers need to use these questions in their exams. Um, I believe that I'm glad Kim that you say you can reflect in your you know member of Kaiser, um, your subscriber, and that you you were you participated in this. I have not been ever asked any of these questions in an in a in an exam or in a doctor's appointment or in a yearly physical. And I think it would be I'd like to see our, our children um 
in a pediatrician's office screened. Um, and I know that um, a doctor, I think it's Nadine um, Burks, um, she's the California Surgeon General, or she was, um, wanted to implement um, this, this screening, this type of screening, um, um, mandated it in every uh, um, appointment for children in every, in every pediatrician's office, in every office, um, because of the outcomes of poor, um, poor physical outcomes when um, uh, childhood abuse and neglect is not addressed and, and people do not start to heal and go through recovery. Um, the trajectory is, um, uh, you know, the outcomes for, the health outcomes are so poor. So, I mean, Philip, do you think, would, do you, what do you think? Do you think it's a good idea to, to screen for these types of things in a doctor's appointment? Um, to be honest with you, I wish that they would consider that stuff, like you said, to be honest with you. That's what I wish they would do. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't even factor in any of that. Like, and I wish they would even ask kids if they were going through rough times at home just so they could help them, you know, but they don't. Yeah, they don't. Oh, yeah, I think they could get a lot more in-depth care and be a lot more understood if people were asking, if doctors were asking those questions. I know that um, when I first started trying to figure out why I have all this pain all the time, you know, I had a doctor who immediately went to, oh, she's just trying to get drugs. I'm like, no, I'm not trying to just get drugs. I want to find out what's going on. But I think, you know, unfortunately doctors come out of at a medical school with this list of, okay, here's some symptoms, here's some things, and, you know, that describe these symptoms, and it's got to be one of these. And nobody is the same. I mean, we're all made differently. So they're going to have, you know, we're all going to have different needs. So... I mean, there are so many physical manifestations um, that come, you know, after um, abuse, um, you know, or and I think, you know, it's unfortunate when, you know, you have to connect the dots. You have to, you know, they're not connecting the dots, like you're saying, Kim. Yeah. We're just assuming that you're there for, you know, pain meds. Um, I'm not connecting the dots. And if you're answering yes to one or more of these questions in the ACE study, you know, um, that would give them some information, you know, to dig a little bit deeper and not just make assumptions. That's my my opinion. Yeah. Because, I mean, you and I both have spine issues and the spine is connected to the brain, and the brain is affected with um, emotional and physical abuse and neglect. Well, and the physical part of it, see, I think I think it was just within the last couple of years that that clicked with me, the physical aspect 
of it because you just think, you know, I, I don't know. I just thought it was emotional, you know. I'm just too emotional or, or whatever. But then starting to figure out what my body is actually doing and what, you know, what I'm feeling and then thinking back to the abuse in my childhood, I'm like, this all makes sense. And I think I was talking to you when it clicked for me that when my dad threw me through the the wall when I was 15 years old, that that probably did some damage to my spine. Yeah. And, you know, that couldn't have, I, I don't remember specifically. I know that I was never taken to a hospital or a doctor. And, you know, I I think I, and I've mentioned before, that I just got very, very rebellious. I got even more rebellious. But um, they didn't try and get me any kind of help for emotional, physical, anything. And um, so. Did your mom support you, Miss Kim? Did your mom support you or was she against you too? No, she was, um, actually that's when she told me that I, or that it happens, that basically women get sexually abused. And it didn't matter that it was my stepdad I'm talking about. You know, it was just, oh, you know, it kind of happens. That's what I remember taking away from it. I don't know the exact conversation. I remember taking away from it, oh, she was sexually abused, and so I guess it just happened. And um, she was... I don't remember my mom being abusive, but I do remember her being neglectful. And she was gone a lot because she was the one, she was the breadwinner of the family. She was the one that made all the money um, for the, well, at least the time frame that I was sexually abused by my dad. Um, he was a, because he, he switched off all the, all the time constantly. But um, he was an animal control officer at that time. And so he had, you know, like long days, and then he'd have like two or three days off. Or three, actually probably one month, you know. But well, during the week. And so he was at home a lot of times when I came home from school. And that's when some of the abuse, the sexual abuse started happening. And, but I also, but there were also times at night, too with my mom in the same bed, you know, have kids come in and crawl into bed with your parents. He would abuse me at those times. And I, I remember thinking as it's going on, like, well, she's right there. Isn't it? I mean, you know, it's like you're, you're recognizing that there's another person that should be helping you and they're not. So it was very neglectful. And I, I guess after that instance, when I was 15, I just thought, well, she just doesn't really care. She just thinks that's what's going to happen. And then a couple of years later, when I got pregnant with my daughter, I, you know, said, no, I'm not going to just let it happen. I don't think it just happens. So I had enough brain cells, I guess, <laughs> at that point to realize that I didn't have to carry this on with my children. I didn't have to just sit back and say, oh, they could get abused, you know, they could get sexually abused. And, and I'm just, I don't have anything, you know, I can't do anything about it. I, I didn't want that. So I guess that, I guess, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think, I don't think she was abusive. I think she was neglectful. And 
possibly knew some more that I think that she let on at times. So, oh. so I mean, I yeah, I know she was around when he was physically abusive. I mean, I can picture her being there, and I can picture her, you know, just kind of giving me a disappointed look. Like, oh, you're in trouble, so now your dad punished you. And, you know, it was kind of like that. My mom was really tiny. She had a huge personality, and people definitely knew what was on her mind. So, um, But she was a really tiny person. She was like five, five feet tall, I think. And you know, she would, at times, she would be down to like 85 pounds. And she was just a little tiny thing. So I I don't think she could have probably physically done anything to me unless it was. She was <laughs> what do you, I mean, do you feel that with your parents? And do you feel like they kind of played off of each other maybe a little bit or stood up for each other so up or? Um, well, my mom didn't, like, stick up for me a lot when it would happen, you know? And sometimes my mom was emotionally and physically neglectful. So I kind of think, like, they attracted each other and they were married for a reason because maybe they were kind of like each other. Yeah. They played off of each other. And... Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the words that I was saying. <laughs> make me, but yeah, but they were dependent, codependent on each other. Um, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but that doesn't make a very good atmosphere for a child. Makes a horrible atmosphere for a child. Sorry. I'm sorry, you have to well, now we, all of us on NASCA, have each other, right? Right. Exactly. We all kind of can. Yeah. That is there for each other. I like that. <laughs> you know, one of the things I like about this study um, is that, like what you, you know, we were talking about, um, First of all, defining the abuse. And then second of all, you know, Philip's question is, well, did your mom know that she intervened? Um, if you look at these questions, if a child's answering them, or a young adult, emotional abuse, I'm just going to read this big one again. It's very specific. Because sometimes think, well, what's emotional? We know what is. What, how, what defines emotional abuse? A parent, a parent or adult living in your home swore at you, insulted you, put you down, or acted in a way that made you feel that you might be physically hurt. That's pretty specific. Um, so swore at you, insulted you, put you down or acting in a way that instilled fear. So um, 
I think that's I I appreciate the specificity, even though these things are hard to listen to because you know I'm reliving it as I'm reading through this. Um, I think um, someone might say, "Well, swearing at me that's not that's not emotional abuse." Well, actually, it is. Um, um, deliberate denigration was something that was just pervasive um, um, by my father, my parents growing up in the home, so especially my father. So insults, putting us down. I mean, that was just, I didn't know that there was any other way to be treated. Um, so anyway, I think the specificity is, um, I think if children, you know, are answering the survey, um, they can start to, you know, uh, uncover um, and I think identify some of this um, hopefully earlier on um, in order to, so they can then address it. Because I didn't, I wasn't aware when I was a a young child that um, I was being emotionally abused, um, but all of those things under that definition of emotional abuse happened on a daily basis in my home, almost on a daily basis. so, um, and although I was physically abused, you know, as you know, Kim, um, I remember having an egg thrown at me, a raw egg thrown at me across the kitchen, and it just missed me. No, it hit me, and then hit the wall. Um, and so, but I would have never considered that event physical abuse. And there were plenty of other events where there was extreme physical abuse, but to me that was just, you know, hadn't thought about it. Um, and I um, think that, uh, yeah. yeah, like, well, and she was swearing it to me and screaming at top, you know, at the same time. And then an egg, you know, then she totally became, you know, she just flew off the handle and, um, you know, Threw a eye at me, you know, to just try and hurt me. Um, another day in the, you know, typical day in the neighborhood um, in my household. Um, but I also think that um, the definition of sexual abuse for children is that that is, um, you know, to, to say, listen, you know, an adult, a relative, a family friend, or a stranger. It can be someone you know. It can be a relative who is at least five years older than you and then even touching or fondling your body. Um, you know, it's... it's, it's um, had I been read that question when I was... 10 years old, 12 years old, I could have identified um, the grooming and the sexual abuse um, then um, and known that it was wrong for speaking of it, you know, four decades later. So um, I think that this is, you know, a very well-worded questionnaire.
And I think the no. more that we realize. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. oh go on. No, sorry, no, no, no. Go on. Go on, Philip. No, Philip, go on. Um, what website were you on for the ACES study? Because I am on the Center for Disease Control. Yes, that's where we are. Okay. Um, there's a lot of links on here for this topic. Yes, there is. I'm under, um, let's see here. I'll go back to the main. Okay, so, yeah, if you go to centers, um, cdc.gov, um, and then it's actually ACEs study. So it's called Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, you just, um, or just in your search engine ACEs study, it'll take you right to the CDC website. Um, and then it has um, where well, I went under, let's see here. I went under, what did I go under? Let's see. Bear with me. Are you on the mobile or the desktop version? I'm on the mobile version and I'm under, okay, it's actually, um, I'm under about, the about, about. About study. the CDC Kaiser A study? Yeah. So am I. Okay, yeah, under violence prevention. Good. And then if you go under data and statistics, that's where the ACEs definitions where I'm reading those off. So yeah, it's actually you would think it's under the questionnaire, but it's actually under data and statistics. Found it. Great. Sad to say that I had a lot of these, like a lot of these. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the first test you're going to take where you don't want to get a high score, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you're not alone. Yeah. You're not Ms. alone. Penelope, I think did you share your story? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, no, did I did I share my story? Did you want me to tell you what how about my responses? The uh, if it's not too personal. No, not at all. I've been on, yeah, I've actually come on three times and told my story on the NASCA show before. Not at all. Um, So I was, um, I mean, after going through recovery and, you know, starting to, you know, do the work to really address the childhood abuse um, because I was, you know, I went through life, Philip, and I thought that if I was perfect, that I could 
protect, you know, that would be my protection at home. So, I mean, I just tried to be perfect. I tried to like, you know, get straight A's and do everything that I was, you know, expected to do, you know, run for, you know, this office, that office, get involved in this and that. I mean, just being all around, you know, highly um, uh, high-achieving kid with excellent grades, and I would, you know, I would be safe. And, of course, um, that wasn't the case, but I just, you know, graduated from high school, went to college, you know, and just, like, took that kind of perfectionistic um, drive throughout, you know, my life, married, had three kids, and then um, it was back in 2016, um, you know, when when you're carrying all this stuff from your childhood, eventually it catches up with you, right? So, you know, here I am, a mom of three, like, teenage kids, or maybe there were, like, two or teen, one was a teenager and two were tweens or whatever, um, married, full-time job and all. I mean, I literally collapsed. So that kind of begins my recovery story. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Um, I put, I mean, I literally just, like, I just hit a wall. Um, and I just could not, I mean, I just, I just, my back was killing me. I, you know, Kim and I talked about back pain. I mean, it was, and I couldn't even see, I mean, I knew I was in pain. I couldn't even pinpoint where it was, but I, I was crawling. I was literally crawling. So that's like just the kind of state I was in. Um, and I really, um, anyway, didn't even realize why I was kind of numb to the pain. So um, I started, um, my doctor who was, um, I was actually in pharmaceutical sales at the time, so he knew me professionally and personally, he'd been treating me for 10 years. He, I think he saw some things and he said, you know, I think you should go talk to somebody. So, um, you know, kind of urged me. And I was a very compliant patient, so I always did what I was told. So I went to this, uh, psychologist that he referred me to and, um, and that's where my, my therapy began. And um, through that, so what I realized is, to answer your question, um, and Kim and I kind of discussed, you know, what you know, what you grow up with you think is normal until you realize that it wasn't. But I was born into, you know, my two parents met, and they came from abusive backgrounds. And so there was many, through many generations of abusive cycles um, before, um, you know, I was born into that family, and so I was born to my mother. Um, I, you know, my mother. Um, I mean, the question was, did you live with a parent who was uh, mentally ill? And um, I, you know, didn't even realize at the time, but I would say yes. My mother has some um, some sort of personality disorder. I don't know if it's um, histrionic or narcissistic or um, something, um, and she. Um, scream at the top of her lungs. She could not handle being a mom. So from the minute I was born, I was born, and they say like the first zero to three, there's like those, those are the months where it's so important for that early childhood development to feel that they're in a safe and stable and secure household. It's hard to feel that way when you have a mother who's flying off the handle. And when I say screaming, I mean like if you could scream and take every muscle in your body and with full force of everything you have, the top of your lungs, it's like a full body, like piercing scream. Um, 
that is what I, that was what I was, you know, for the first several years of my life. And so I um, never knew it was like a bomb. It was like living in a landline when there were, you know, there were like, you know, grenades, you know, you just never knew when the screaming would begin. So I remember I started having panic attacks just from that. I think by the time I was three years old. Um, but um, my mother would do things like get up on, uh, get up like in our family room on like, on like this uh, bookshelf. She'd like stand on this bookshelf really high up and she'd throw our toys and destroy them, um, which was very scary. Um, we would, of course, get spanked. Um, my father, my earliest memory, would bring out his black belt. Um, but my father just, you know, would erupt, and um, I was um, very physically, um, I was physically abused and beaten beyond recognition, thrown across rooms. Like you know, Kim had unfortunately mentioned she had the same you know experience. But I mean, I was literally thrown across the room and landed on my head and landed on my spine, landed on my spine several times. Um, um, and uh, that's when I literally left my body like I completely dissociated I and I could float and just not feel any of any of the punches um I lost I've lost my hearing in one side almost completely um partial hearing well and loss in the other side of um I've lost adult tooth um from um that um I didn't realize you know when I was two and a half three years old that um you know um the sexual abuse had begun, um, and my mother was um, in the bed as well. It was in the parent bed, and like so it didn't you kind of like run and crawl into your parents' beds. And so it's almost our stories are very similar. My mother was just she just looked the other way, um, and um, so that was sexually abused. Um, but um, yeah, I, I anyway. So um, and I, you know. Uh, witnessed it happening to my siblings not as much I was uh, but they were I was usually um the the one who got it the worst um we were also um my mother wanted us to be very thin and she wanted her kids to look perfect so there was food restriction all the time um I was always hungry and then I'd sneak food and then she'd find out and start screaming those piercing screams again. And so I would always hide in shame and just, I mean, feel like responsible for making my mother angry. So um, there was, you know, even abuse um, with just, you know, things like being fed. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's anyway, this, you know, um, my father, um, for some reason, um, just, even though he was um, he was a high level manager for the government, and he actually promoted and worked with women, and was never, um, 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 I guess, chauvinistic or misogynistic in the workplace. Um, I am at home. Uh, my sister and I were constantly, like I said, there was deliberate denigration. Like we were melodramatic. We were, you know, we didn't. Um, our voices were not valid we were treated like we would have to clean the kitchen, but my brother wouldn't have to because he was a boy. So there was always this um, professional treatment. Um, but the, wor- the really the worst was just always being treated like I just didn't have a voice, you know, um, that, that I would just 
you know, I wasn't allowed to have a voice, wasn't allowed to um, fight the status quo or even complain about the status quo meeting, you know, being, being hungry, being talked down to, you know, being beaten, you know, being sexually abused. And so um, that was, I thought was hard. It's, it's just, you know, not even being able to um, even verbally protect myself, just having to just live and survive, if that makes sense. So anyway, that's my story. Uh, that's horrible. I'm sorry. Thank you. You know, the last time my father raised his hand to literally beat me, he was um, trying to convince me of something. Um, I was driving him in my car. I was 41 years old. I had three children. I was married. He was, they were visiting. He was in the car with me. And he got so angry and so enraged because, and I was just speaking like I am right now, um, but because I, he couldn't convince me. It was a power thing, right? He couldn't convince me to see his side. And I was just, you know, holding on to my opinion. Um, he actually raised his fist to punch me. And that rage that he would get in his eyes, you know, it all just came, it, the rage was there. He just wanted to pound the, the hell out of me. And he literally raised his fist to hit me. And I looked at him and I just said, I just said, you're going to beat the crap out of me. You're just going to beat me up again. You know, you're going to beat me again. And he stopped himself. But I thought, oh, my God, and I was shaking. I, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm 41 years old and I'm about to be, I'm afraid of my dad, my own father. I'm a mother of three, and here he is, you know, going to punch me again, you know, hard in the face. And um, so he, you know, I never escaped it. You know, it was it was still there as as an adult, and the denigration was still there, and the you know the deliberate denigration and um, the minimization of me as a human being. So anyway, it was. Um, it was a. Uh, it didn't last. It lasted longer than my childhood, is what I'm saying. You know, it lasted into my adulthood, until I started um, doing the the work and and setting boundaries and and uh, you know being able to name and identify what the what the the, the abuse was. So um, he died about a year into my recovery. Um, so um, anyway. That's my story. Sorry, sorry. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, just thanks. I um, I'm curious if you don't mind me asking, Penelope, do you know your parents' story? Do you know why they are like they are or were? And not that um, it's an excuse by any means. So I I do. I mean, regarding my mother, um, and my mother, like your mother, I mean, she, I mean, she meted out her share of abuse, um, but she also um, severely neglected, you know, um, her children from the physical, from the abuse of my father. Um, the physical abuse, it, it was, you know, keep it secret, hide it. The sexual abuse, she looked the other way. So I think I'm just saying that because. I know that, like, in sibling abuse, um, when one so – my mother had a younger sister who was three years younger who was, like, perfect, like, perfect, like, everything came naturally to her. And I think, Kim, to answer your question, 
my mother was raised with favoritism in the home. Like when you favor one, like, you know, significantly favor one child over the other. So I think that my mother, like when I say I think she's narcissistic or histrionic, I think that narcissism um, came from her childhood and her, you know, food restriction and, and forcing us to be thin and, and her screaming um, because she had all this obviously, you know, from childhood, all this un, um, her own issues that, you know, were bottled up within her. Um, but also I remember her telling me once when I was like teen or in my 20s that one of her uncles, and he since passed away, I never met this man, would sit as a little girl, would, she said he'd sit me on his lap, but then he would put his hands where they weren't supposed to go. And then she looked at me, but we don't say anything. And she, like, then felt guilty for saying something, and she would change the subject. So I think what I'm saying is I believe she was molested as well. I know she was molested. I mean, she told me, obviously, she was. Um, um, and so, like, Kim, like what you said, your mom said, well, these things just happen, right? Like, we just don't say anything. I think that that's when she saw that going on at and within her you know, with her daughter, you know, in the bed, I think she just thought, well, you know, we just don't say anything. I'm just going to look the other way because I just think that that's what she, um, you know, was her history. And regarding my father, um, there, I know that there was abuse in the home. um, And it's a really, um, I believe my father was sexually abused. I believe my father was physically abused. And I also know that um, my, um, grandfather, his father, um, was in, was in the mafia, um, and that there was a restaurant, and the restaurant was, I don't know if it was a front for money laundering or not, but I do know that, that my father is, uh, and his sisters, his young kids were in this restaurant, but my father especially, and the mafia would bring um, uh, the, I don't know, they would take care of business, of, of killing people or, or beating people up in the back of this restaurant. And so my father witnessed a lot of, of um, extreme um, physical abuse, obviously. And also because the mafia ran this town where my father was raised. At 10 years old, my father um, worked for the mafia um, in the shoe shine, And the shoe shine was actually a place where, um, at 10 years old, where men traveling into town came um, to learn, my father said I was actually tell them where the four brothels were in town and the prices for the services. So even the child having to speak of that at that age is sexual abuse. So I do know that I say my father was sexually abused. I, he told me that this was his job. I don't even think that he registered that it was sexual abuse. But then I have to wonder if my dad had to talk about the prices of the services, if he'd also experienced them. Because at 10 years old, obviously, that's very, and, and younger, that's very young. So, um, of course, you know, when families rely on secrecy, you know, um, you know, that's the way that, you know, the abuse, the sexual abuse, all, and especially with mafia ties, there was so much secrecy that, um, you know, secrecy was um, the most, I would say, prolific enabler of these cycles to continue. 
so you know, regarding my from my mom's side, my dad's side, these are just little things that I've I've tried to piece together here and there, and I'm sure that there's a lot more that I don't know. So does that answer your your question, Kim? And I can imagine, you know, as a little boy, seeing all of that going on in brothel, um, that is the way life is supposed to be. I mean, and you see so many different people probably coming in and out of that place, you know, different classes, and, um, and realizing that, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I think there's still kind of that misogynistic, thinking of, oh, well, you know, the sooner the guy can get laid or whatever, then that's, you know, that's best. The guy needs to do it as fast as he can. And, um, but, you know, if it's, so, yeah, I, I could see even shows like, I think, Little House on the Prairie, you know, alluded to the, just what's out there and what kids can get in into, and that was long before computers and stuff, but, um, yeah, yeah, and, and, I mean, it still happens, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say, too. It still happens where there are certain families where the, maybe the father believes that by 10 years old, you should be having sex. That is, that's appropriate for a 10-year-old, you know, but crazy, but. Yeah, I mean, well, in our home, I mean, they never discussed it except for the fact that we were expected not, you know, not to. I mean, you know, that came up. But, you know, then what was going on, you know, behind, you know, within the home, that was a different story. Um, If that makes sense. I mean, my parents did not condone sex before marriage. Um, That was actually a big theme in the home, you know. But obviously, you know, there were other things that were going on. So, so that's why I think it's just so important to, to, I mean, my children know, you know, they know my story and um, I want them to know because, um, A, they had, you know, before I was able to speak of what happened to me and gone through, went through therapy, my parents watched my children when they were young, and my husband and I would go on quick little trips, you know, a couple times. And that keeps me up at night, you know. Um, because if I had really done the work and really brought all this up and out before I had children, I would have never left my children in my parents' care, ever. Um, so I feel that I tell my story to break the cycle. I break, tell my story to break the silence, but I also tell my story because and I hope not, but it gives my children permission if they ever have a story, if they ever need to tell something, you know, that, that they can, you know. Um, and I, I like them, if they have a story to tell, to tell it sooner rather than later. So, and I, like I said, I hope that's not the case, but I also can't bury my head in the sand. I have to be realistic. Thank you for sharing that because I think people do like to hear that. I mean, I feel, too, that I wasn't the best mom. I've never claimed that I was perfect. I just know that I tried hard not to 
give my children the same life that I have. And I succeeded in a lot of ways, you know, but there's still, there's still issues, unfortunately. <laughs> there's probably all, you know, always going to be issues, but um, I know that I did yell a lot more when I was when my kids were younger. I hope I don't think it was to the point that you were saying your mom did. <laughs> I, I hope, um, but my kids don't ever. They, you know they don't complain about that. What they complain about is I'm not giving each of them enough attention. I guess so. You know I think that they've got kind of that whole instead of having a reality of life could be a lot worse, you know, they have the reality of, oh, my middle class life who, you know, where there wasn't any sexual abuse is really bad. So they just can't see it. They can't, they can't get into that difference, I guess, because they didn't live it. They have a different baseline. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They have a different baseline. And I love the quote by Maya Angelou because I have to tell myself this all the time. You do, you do the best with what you know, but then when you know better, you do better, you know? And I knew that I didn't want to have, you know, my, I wanted my children to have a very different childhood than I did. But, and I, I, I tried to execute as best I could on that, but there were things that I, you know, hadn't uncovered yet about myself and about my patterns, you know? Um, yeah. So, um, and I, that's why I'm doing the work. And so hopefully some of it they will observe and, um, and I wish I'd said it earlier, but I can't turn back the clock. I can only, right. We can only move forward. This is just really, you know, we can only move forward, you know, and, uh, and I'm glad I can, you know, I'm glad that, that it's a privilege, you know, to be able to do the work. And if I look back too much, it'll just it'll you know derail me from make you know moving forward. So on the journey, so I can't look back too much. You know, I can't dwell on that. I can't change it. Right, but I think it also goes into then recognizing that if we didn't have that example, that there's still going to be things that has fallen off the tracks. You know, like I said, I did yell. I did thank my oldest daughter for a while, too, but I didn't. Well, I, no, I guess there was a time I did kind of thank them all because I, my son would not react at all. And I think that's when I started not thanking them is because I was like, it doesn't even bother him, and that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> I can't seem to get, you know, I can't seem to hurt him. And I'm like, well, why do I want to hurt him? So now I recognize that there are definitely things that I could have done so much better if I would have had that healing started, like you said, getting that started a lot earlier. Good. <laughs> but we can't change it. No. No, but I still feel that, you know, Philip, you know, and, and Kim, whatever we are doing now, you know, it is, we change our own patterns, you know, because history is defined as a pattern. You know, we def- when we change our own patterns, we are changing the course of history. And I think that that 
you know, when you change the course of history, um, I, I think that those effects do reverberate, you know, um, out into our families. So I do think that they, you know, the work that we're doing now is still, is still having an impact. I believe that. That's a good way to look at it. I like to have play. Yeah. Thank you. So, Philip, do you feel like your siblings have different perspectives than you? Yes, I think. Um, theirs is like, like, um, I don't think we have the same perspective because, like, I don't believe in, like, leaving people behind, you know, or, like, like, um, being mean or whatever, even though I've been mean before, like, that's not something I believe in, and so I guess we have a different perspective when it comes to that. Mhm. And you're the youngest too, right, Philip? I have one more that's younger than me, and I have two more that are older than me. Oh, do you? Okay. Oh, wow! Four of you guys, huh? So. Yeah, four of us. So you still have one that's home with you, or the other? One's gone? No, they're all gone. So it goes, my dad lives, my dad lives like 20 minutes away by himself in an apartment. And then my oldest sister lives with Walter, that's her husband, and his parents and her two kids. And then Melody and Christina, my next two siblings, live together 30 minutes away in Rosemond. And then I live with my mom in Leona Valley. Okay. Do you feel that you have a pretty a good relationship with any of them? I don't think that any of them want to be my friends. Oh, that makes me sad. Were you growing up? What? Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, I said. I said, um, were you close growing up at all? No, not at all. And a lot of it probably had to do with the abuse that's going on. I mean, you're all in survival mode, right? Yeah, probably. Go ahead. Well, and a lot of times in family systems, you know, parents just create an environment of siblings not having close relationships, you know. I mean, my parents fueled a lot of um, competition um, and uh, they fueled a lot of, of bad, you know, blood between me and my siblings. So I think sometimes the parents, I don't know if that's your case, Philip, but I think sometimes the parents play a role in that. Yeah, me too. Well, actually, my sister Michelle apologized for being mean when we were younger a couple months ago. Wow. 
Well, that really helps. Right. So it helped. I was going to ask you how that, how that, you know, impacted you. But it helped. That's good. It was really devastating when I was younger because I didn't have any friends and I wasn't allowed to go to public school. I was homeschooled because, like, our parents didn't want us to have sex before we were married or anything like that. So they didn't let us go to public school. So, like, it was pretty much just us kids at home alone a lot with my mom while my dad was at work. Just, yeah. Mm. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know as a mom who had three kids that went to school, it was a lot. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to justify anything that your mom did for us by any means, because um, you know she could have made a different decision, and then you wouldn't have to be feeling. Yeah. Sorry, but she she made that decision. And I think I recognize, and, and that's what I was asking earlier about, you know, if you know your, your parents' past. And, well, that's a good question for you, too, Philip. Do you know kind of your parents' past? Um, I think that my my dad, his, he didn't have a dad growing up. And uh, my my dad's brother was sexually assaulted, and he was extremely overweight. So I guess that they had a rough time growing up, probably. Mm-hmm. Do you know about your mom's part history? Yeah. Um, I guess a while ago she said that her parents sometimes were short with her or said some things that weren't nice. So I guess that's my mom's story. But other than that, my mom's parents are still together. Mm. That doesn't always mean they're healthy, though. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Just because they're together doesn't mean they're healthy. Yeah, I mean... My parents were very unhealthy, and I believe that if my mom hadn't died 20 years ago, that they would probably still be together, too. I think that dynamics have changed over the years, you know. How long were your parents married, Philip? Um, maybe, like, more, maybe, like, around 15 years, I think. Totally. I think that's a lot of times when it starts have you ever heard of that, like, seven-year itch? Seems like that happens for real. <laughs> if you get older What's and you that? start experiencing it, I'm like, like, every seven years, something is challenging and just harder to get, you know. It's, yeah, it's just a challenge for some reason. It's like you're trying to make it over to the next thing that you're supposed to do in life, and and a lot of times that brings stuff that it's just hard to work through, including trying to heal yourself and healing your mind and doing what's healthy, you know, for you as an individual. Like I've talked about the exercising and stuff. That wasn't something that I always did. I think the first 
probably five years or six years of our marriage, I wasn't into exercising. And then I started getting into it a little bit more. So, But it, I think that was very good for my mental health at that point because I really didn't have a little bit of an outlet because I was a stay-at-home mom as well. And I only had two homes. Well, I guess besides the summers, but um, like baby babies. I I've always I always wanted my kids closer together, but then they came so far apart, which was good because I don't know that I could handle if they were like a stair step, like some of my friends have. I don't know how they how they do that, but um, no, I think I I got off. I veered off again. <laughs> I'm good at that, um, but I guess. You know, I guess basically what the, that whole, this whole conversation is about is that, it, you know, our parents have to also dictate how they're going to parent. And just like ours is going to dictate how we parent, whether that's good or bad. And that's the choices that we get to make is what we're going to do. We're going to try and make it better. And I hope, you know, that even though I tried really hard, with my kids, I hope that they also took that and then learn more and can do better with their kids because I know that I dropped the ball. I believe that's a trajectory. I'm hopeful <laughs> for my own, right? Yeah. You hope that's, that's what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. like, so just think how healthy yeah. your kids could be, Philip. I said just think how healthy your kids could be if you get yourself all straightened out before you have children if you do I don't know if you want to or not but I think I'll just live forever and have a bunch of kids I just have a bunch bunch. there you go and I'm going to live forever (laughs) live forever yeah then you can see the results of all your work right yeah As long as it's good and it's not worse. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. that wasn't me. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, you want to live that <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to see a follow-up study, a study on um, all these individuals um, that you know, responded um, with one ace or more that go through recovery, you know, I want to see the the, um, the better outcomes, right, the better long-term outcomes, you know, for well-being. I'd love to see that, right, um, the impact of, of healing, right, because it's more a measure the impact of, of the trauma, Oh, you know, to me this is unaddressed. So I'd like to see what the impact is of um, trauma that's identified, right? But then also um, those that, you know, um, go through the healing process. I'd love to see that trajectory because I'm sure those results are much better. See, the CDC needs to come to Nascar. Right. <laughs> the CDC yeah. needs to yeah, come to NASCA. We've got a lot of members. 
We so if anybody have. knows anybody at the CDC, bring them on over. Right. We want their opinions on some things. And, you know, for all we know, Kaiser would be able to give discounted insurance if our health card comes with better. Did you ever just ever um, get a discount for not smoking or get a discount for doing some, like, online health assessment? Like, I used, used to get, like, $100 off or something with my health insurance plan if you did this, like, online assessment or something. So maybe we'll, you know, get a discount, discount for healing. My mentor has Kaiser. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Do they like it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think I can. I'm not complaining. It hasn't been bad. I have Kaiser right now. Do you like it? Yeah, you just said so. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, my husband has... um, Cancer, and it's you know he's had great access to to oncology, you know, experts and so specialists. So um, I think you know we've been very fortunate. Um, so nothing negative to say about Kaiser here. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we're also not endorsing it, but no, not endorsing it, but yeah. definitely not um, done. You know, not disparaging it either. Um, but I'm appreciative for the research and for the studies. I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's, I like the hard evidence. You know, I like to look at hard evidence. Um, I, I do like to look at well-powered studies. Um, and I think, you know, unfortunately, I just think being able to, to cite these things is, you know, lends to credibility as well because so many people don't want to hear about child abuse, you know. Um, and I think it's, a, it's so important to talk about. And some people don't want to hear about the long-term impacts of child abuse on its adult survivors. Um, and it's so important. So I think that this is, this study is, is this is this, this is the data um, that backs the pandemic that we talk about during um, the mission statement that we read at the beginning of the show, because it really is. I mean, to me, those are very, very high numbers that I read out in the ACE study. So, Philip or Kim, do you do you either have um, either of you have any last minute comments? Um, it's been a good show. Thank you. Thanks. You always add to it, so we appreciate you being on. Definitely. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you. So just to read this evening. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, whatever insurance you have, I think that it's important that people do research and that if you are struggling in a certain area that you continue to find out what's going to help you because there are, you know, so many ways that we can just go into ourselves, and I could find myself doing that too, but to be able to reach out and get the help that you need is what's really important. 
and there are people out there, even if the first 100 that you talk to are not the people that can help you. There are going to be people out there that can, you know, help you through life and get certain things done. So just don't give up. There's people Absolutely. that care and ask to care as well. So we're here too. I completely agree. Yeah. Absolutely. If you'd like more information on NASCA, please check out our website at www.nascanaasca.org. Um, there's a, a one-stop shop, really, for any information that you'd like to know about anything regarding our mission statement, which is Child Abuse Trauma Prevention Intervention Recovery, as well as a recording of tonight's show. Um, we've been talking about the ACES study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, um, conducted um, by the CDC and Kaiser. Um, and uh, it was a great topic show suggested by Kim. I so appreciate that. Um, and thank you for, for coming on. Um, also very, very much appreciated. And uh, we encourage you to listen in uh, the shows on Five Nights a Week from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The number to call in is area code 646-595-2118. And uh, anyone is welcome to call in and participate. So um, I wish to thank Philip again. Thank you, Philip. It's so great to always have you um, calling in and on the channel, and you add just so much to the shows. Um, And um, thank my Dear uh, NASA sister Kim Lakin for being on my host team tonight and coming up with such a great topic. I really appreciate Thank you, it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's a privilege. It's really a privilege to be able to be um, in service to NASCA um, and to be able to help lend my voice to this is very, very, very important um, advocacy work that we do here at NASCA for our adult survivors of child abuse and really bringing so much awareness um, to uh, uh, the impact of childhood trauma um, on everyone, um, especially our adult survivors. So um, thank you very much. And as I always say, um, as I thought off on the shows, that there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. So if you see something, you hear something, please say something you know, do something because it is our responsibility to keep our children safe. So thank you. Thank you, everyone, and good night. Yes. Yeah, we just had a call. Let's see who it is real quick. But did you want to say something? Um, area code 210. You're on NASCA. Hand was raised. Hello? Uh, they just, Someone there? They just, oh, they dropped. Uh, okay. They just dropped. <laughs> yeah. But no, thank you. Didn't see that, so thank you for bringing that to my attention. Yeah. Well, shoot. Maybe, well, maybe they'll might. call in tomorrow or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Penelope. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Don't
Talk Radio.